Jesus is being misquoted more and more commonly in the mainstream, so much so that you might suspect it's intentional for political purposes or something. But of course, Jesus has never been misused for political purposes. Now, the people that are doing this, like Pete Buttigieg and Sonny Hostin of The View and Stacey Abrams, who you will know as the president of the Star Trek universe, you might think to yourself, these people aren't that smart, and that's probably why they're misquoting Jesus. Well, the reason why they're misquoting quoting Jesus, is nowhere near as important as the repercussions of a post-Christian West that continues to malign the truth of Scripture. In fact, even if you're not a Christian, there's dire consequences for a West that's falling further and further away from these scriptural ideas and virtues, and we'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Our show today is sponsored by our friends over at Anchor. That's A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z, especially as you're starting to get down to maybe your end of your giving and you're thinking about giving to IndieThinker and great organizations like it. You're going to need somebody to help you with your accounting. And you're going to need somebody to help you with all those receipts that you're going to buy as gifts for all those ungrateful people in your life. And you need the help of Anchor to do that because they can help you with bookkeeping. They can help you with accounting. They can help you with business solutions. They can help you with payroll. And they can even help you with staffing solutions. So whatever your needs may be as we get close to the end of year, you need to check out Anchor to see how they can help you wrap your books up in a way that will not only please the government powers that be and the oligarchs out there, but that will also help you and your bottom line. Take it from me. I use them personally. Anchor is a fantastic business, but to know for yourself, you need to go check them out today. So go to ancur.biz to see how they can help you put legs underneath your vision. And when you do so, let them know that IndieThinker sent you. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. After all, it is the season of giving, and you need to even treat yourself a little bit by a notification every time great content at IndieThinker becomes available. So don't forget to hit that notification bell if you're watching on YouTube. And uh, by the way, you can also give us a little gift, and you can write a review on Spotify, give it a five-star, and do that also on, on Apple Podcasts. And it never hurts also to give a thumbs up, like I said, and to to comment below. Um, but as, as we gear up for the holiday season, I wanted to do a show that kind of focuses on an unfortunate reality of the holiday season, which is that suicides begin to skyrocket and always have around the holiday season. For whatever reason, Christmas seems to be a time where if people don't have the kind of hope that often fills many people's homes and hearts during Christmas, if they don't have that, they they turn to other means. And sometimes those means have not only been booze to make a fool of yourself, but have also has also unfortunately been suicide. So I think it's only fair to have a show that that addresses this issue head on. One of the things that Indie Thinker that I like to do is not to meander around issues or pretend that they don't exist because there is nothing redemptive about that. What we must do is we must tackle these issues head on if we ever hope to make a difference in them. And and suicide is one of those things. And so in 2018, the NIH did a study that looked back at the suicide rate in 2008. And so in that 10-year period of time, suicide had increased 35% more than 
from uh, 2008 to 2018. So in just those two years, not in that span of time, but in 2008, the suicides were compared to the suicides in 2018, and there were 35% more in 2018. Now, you might ask yourself, what is the cause for that, that sharp increase in suicides? And ultimately, we're going to try to answer that with this show, but I can answer it pretty succinctly. If you look at a graph um, of the incline of suicides, you can almost see a direct correlation between the increase of suicides and the decrease of Christianity in the American West. And in the West writ large, uh, there has been a steep decline. Uh, the graph would almost look that like they are juxtaposed to each other, the incline and the decline, the, in, the increase in suicides and the decline of Christianity in the West. And you might say to yourself, Reed, well, just because one's inclining and one is decreasing, you can't necessarily draw a correlation between these two things just because they they seem to be increasing and decreasing at the same time. Um, and you're right about that. And I didn't even take the time to look at a study that might be correlative to draw the correlation between these, these two, two things because I don't need a study to do that, actually. I just need common sense. Common sense would tell you that we all need a narrative to to guide us. We need a story to connect our life to, a story to tell ourselves so that that we have something to believe in, so that when suffering comes and difficulty comes, we know what story to tell ourselves about those things. And for the longest time, Christianity has been that story as a culture that we in the American West have have told ourselves. We've told ourselves something like this, that when suffering comes, well, Jesus suffered too. And in Jesus's suffering, there was a purpose and a goal at the end of it. And if Jesus suffered, perhaps I can too. And perhaps there's an ultimate meaning and redemptive nature to my suffering. And we tell ourselves these kind of stories, but these stories only come trickling down to us from the pages of scripture and from the life of, of Jesus. As we've stepped away from that story, we have found ourselves unhinged, unmoored, unanchored from anything that will give us hope in some of the most difficult times of our life. And thus, suicide rates are increasing in the midst of a society that is becoming more and more prosperous. See, the fact that society is more and more prosperous is only affording for us more depression because we've been told that these material possessions are the things that will bring us joy and we have more access to them than ever before. And now that we are ac accessing them, we're realizing that they actually do not satisfy the soul's deepest desire. This is something that happened to Deion Sanders when he won the Super Bowl and was the MVP of the Super Bowl all at once. He had reached the pinnacle of his career. And in that moment, rather than go to a Super Bowl party, he actually went back to his hotel room and contemplated suicide. And it was there that he realized that being the MVP of the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl were not enough to satisfy his deep soul's desires. He thought it would be, but it wasn't when he finally had reached that pinnacle of his career. And he knelt down on the side of his bed and he asked Christ to save him. And now Deion Sanders is a very strong Christian man. I say all that at the risk of alienating even some of you who are watching now who are not Christians to tell you this, that we all need stories to tell ourselves, And we all need to wrap our lives around that story. And 
We used to do that in the past in America, almost universally, even if you weren't a believer, it was such a cultural influence. We almost used to do that universally, whether you liked it or not, because it just worked its way through the culture, through the lens of Christianity. But we're seeing more and more that that's no longer possible because we're walking away from our faith. Now, for those of you who are secular, you might think to yourself, well, that's a good thing. But actually what's taking the place of Christianity in the midst of secularism is a perverted form of Christianity that you can see in the way in which people in pop culture are misquoting Jesus consistently. The first thing that comes to mind is just recently on The View, we learned that Jesus would actually be the parade marshal, the grand marshal, the marshal from Paw Patrol marshal at the Pride Parade if he was around today. This is what we heard from Sonny Hostin. You can check it out here. I don't know that they hide behind religion because I said this on this show once before. Jesus would be the grand marshal at the Pride Parade. I don't mean about gay people. I mean in every argument we have. But here's... Now, that's kind of interesting because Sonny Hostin and other Christians like her, the social gospel Christian, the liberation theologian, and those, those kind of Christians who twist and pervert Jesus to match their agenda, they're the ones who are so quick to call out evangelicals for supposedly believing in a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, uh, uh, white-skinned Jesus, you know, this white Jesus. There's a whole documentary done about white Jesus and supposedly Christians who believe in this white Jesus. Now, since... There is nobody on the planet who actually believes in that. Um, uh, we're, we're forced to kind of just assume what that may look like. Oh, okay, yeah, I guess, I guess it would look like that, but nobody does believe in that. But it's so interesting that these people who point fingers and say, you can't just make up your own Jesus, are clearly making up their own Jesus here. So this is the gay pride parade marshal Jesus. I'm not even going to show you what that would look like because it would be abominable. But um, this idea that, that Jesus is, can be just whatever you make him up to be is, is clearly on display here because we have this real problem here. If we're going to talk about Jesus, we kind of have to use that thing called the Bible. And when you do, it gives you the impression that Jesus might not be that, that marshal that you're looking for. In fact, he might be the one turning over the tables at this parade because Pride parades are something that God actually hates because God hates pride. And I know what you're thinking. The queer theologian or the queer activist will say, we're not talking about that kind of pride. We're talking about taking pride in who you are. Well, so am I. That's exactly the kind of pride that God resists and exactly the opposite of which God actually gives grace to because he gives grace to a humble person. The kind, of parade, the, the kind of pride that's on display at a pride parade is the kind of pride that is about self. I mean, this is stated at the outset of the pride parade. This is about declaring who I am to the world. So it's all about you. This, again, is the epitome of pride. Another aspect of the kind of pride that you see at a pride parade is the kind of pride of forcing other people to accept you for who you identify as, regardless of whether that identification has any kind of basis in biological reality. You're going to accept me for who I am, and that is final. That's the kind of pride that you see at a pride parade. And then, of course, the kind of pride that you see at a pride parade is 
the pride that rejoices in sin and celebrates sin. This, of course, is the kind of pride that God that God hates. And of course, if you read the Bible for longer than a minute in your childhood, actually pick it up in your adulthood, read some of the things, even the passages that you don't like, you'll clearly understand where the Bible stands on homosexuality. Now, you may not like that. You may think the Bible is an antiquated book as a result of that, but the one thing you can't do is totally twist and conform Jesus to your liking as though he were a yoga pretzel. You can't bend Jesus' leg far enough back to make him pass gas. I'm very sorry. He don't flow like that. And you shouldn't want him to anyway, because that kind of Jesus is a Jesus that you created. That's a Plato Jesus. That's a Jesus in your image rather than you in his image. Now, it doesn't stop there, right? Because um, I mentioned before that you might have to go to some other planet to, uh, to see the kind of Jesus that these people are talking about. But that's exactly where Stacey Abrams comes from, apparently, because as the president of the uh, Star Trek universe... And today we greet the president of United Earth. She just recently was at a church prior to losing once again in Georgia, and she had some amazing words to say that I wanted to share with you. And this clip comes uh, via the great graces of Woke Preacher Clips, which, by the way, if you don't know what Woke Preacher Clips is, you need to follow this account on, on YouTube. It's basically the libs of TikTok for Christians. <laughs> so so um, here's Stacey Abrams appearing at a church telling us how the Bible is clearly about abortion. So here's that. Has exalted her and God has raised her. I come from a tradition of faith. That, that the way she shakes her head like this is really unnerving because it's like, it's like this subtle poker, you know, tell where she's like, I am lying to you. Don't believe a single thing that I am saying. This is not true. And I believe that I have the right to control my body and control my future and that that belongs to me alone. Now, I'm, I'm sorry. I want to laugh at this because... I don't know how this woman is saying what she just said with a straight face. So she literally got done saying, I come from a faith tradition, and that faith tradition has fueled my understanding that it's my body, my choice. I can do what I want. It's my life, and nobody's going to tell me nothing. So this this is the Christianity, the faith tradition. She's at a Christian church, by the way, so I'm not putting words in her mouth. Her Christian faith tradition has told her that Jesus better back up and God better back up, and I'm going to do things my way. Does that sound like a faith tradition to you? Or does that sound like a Stacey Abrams cult dedicated to worshiping Stacey Abrams with Stacey Abrams on the throne? And if there was if there was an effigy at that church, it would be Stacey Abrams. An effigy is an image, by the way. Anyway, the point is, is that that sounds a lot like self-worship rather than any kind of faith tradition in the Christian church. Because, point of fact, the faith tradition of the Christian church is the body in your body isn't your body. That's why you can't kill it. And, by the way, that's not just the faith tradition of the church. That's the faith tradition of, 
uh, American juris jurisprudence. The reason you can't just throw down a whole liter of vodka in your body, which is your choice to do as an adult, and then get behind the wheel of a car is because you're taking your body and you're making choices that impact other people's bodies. And you can't do that. So you can't risk other people's lives for the sake of your choice. And that's what the Christian tradition teaches as far as abortion is concerned as well. But by the way, that's also what bio biology teaches us. Anybody that doesn't want to obscure and lie to you understands that what's inside of you once you've conceived a child is a new strand of DNA that didn't exist before conception. And at the point of conception, now you have a new body inside of you. So it's not my body, my choice. It is your body produced another body, which is a holy act unto God. And you don't have the right to destroy that thing. It's, it's a holy power that was given to God or given to women by God. It's a superpower they have to be able to produce a body and feed that body uh, with that same body in their body. So to deny that is actually to reject and sacrifice something beautiful that God has created. So in point of fact, it's actually the opposite of a faith tradition. It's a, it's a, it's a pagan tradition. It's a pagan liturgy that this woman is spouting in church. But I'm telling you, there are some churches today you can go to and you can just say the word Bible. And if you say it passionately enough, people will clap like seals. And this is not something that is endemic just to Christians or just the Christian church or even just Christian progressivism as evil and as dastardly as it can be. This is something that is impacting us as a society today writ large because of our shift away from Christianity to a more secular form of paganism. And as I said before, one of the repercussions of that is a spiking suicide rate. And this is why I care and some, why we need to pay attention to it and why we need to reclaim a biblical narrative for our life. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But as I close the show, I wanted to share with you kind of the thing that sparked the original desire to do a podcast on this subject, not just the holiday season, but also because the Daily Wire did a really great expose on their morning show, Morning Wire, on the kind of rise in assisted suicide going on in Canada right now. There's just a couple of clips that I want to show you. This is audio only, but I, a couple of clips that I want to share with you so that you can so that you can hear what's going on in Canada, but then so that you can also think about the crisis that we're experiencing right now and what it really looks like and why Christianity may be a curative for the kind of nihilism and for the kind of meaninglessness that we're seeing in society today. So here's, here's that first clip from Morning Wire again on the maid or uh, assisted suicide, really, uh, assisted suicide issues going on in Canada. So here's that. Keanu Vafayan is 23 years old and lives with his grandfather outside of Toronto. He likes to listen to Ella Fitzgerald and binge watch Game of Thrones. He's 5'9 and has a muscular build and the kind of white, even smile that comes from years of orthodontics. By any conventional standard, he's handsome. He has a dog, but no girlfriend. And if he had his way, he'd be dead right now. When people think of assisted suicide, they typically imagine someone elderly, perhaps weeks or months away from natural death. Or they might think of patients diagnosed with terminal cancer or Alzheimer's. That's in large part because these are the pictures that advocates for euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide have been painting for years. 
But what do you do with a young man who wants to end his life because he's depressed that the diabetes diagnosis he received at age four has recently caused him to go blind in one eye and is impairing his vision in the other? He talks a lot about his frustrations with his daily medical routines and his worry that he's a burden on his family. But mostly, he talks about losing his hope that he will ever recover his full eyesight. Now, the first thing I wanted to say is this, is that this guy uh, clearly does have a loss of hope. And you hear it in his voice and you hear it in what he's saying. And um, I, I want to be a little careful here, but I want to suggest that it's actually pretty logical to, to lose hope in light of what is going on in the culture. In fact, I think you would have to be blind, actually, to not lose a little bit of hope if you didn't have your hope in something bigger than this in this world. Our institutions are corrupt. Our leaders are corrupt. Our, even some of our churches are, are, are corrupt. Um, this isn't widespread, but it's far enough to make you wonder. I mean, when we have the FBI colluding with social media to try to suppress a story, and then when people try to investigate that story, the Biden administration uh, tries to suppress it and tries to block uh, an investigation into the story. Of course, that was denied, thankfully. But but it's just like with all of that going on, it doesn't take a Trump supporter or a Biden supporter to open their eyes and see that and find that that's very disturbing. It's very disturbing in the first place that that the FBI would subtly drop hints to Mark Zuckerberg, as we saw in uh, a Joe Rogan uh, podcast uh, not so long ago. Uh, it, it's at least subtly disturbing that the FBI would be colluding with a mainstream polit- political party in, in America. And just the implication of that alone, so without even showing you the clip, just the implication of that alone is just the least bit disturbing. And as we see that, if we don't have our hope in something bigger, if we don't have our hope in a narrative that we're telling ourselves, a story that we tell ourselves that's bigger than our institutions, then I almost understand the loss of hope. So I guess at first, what I want to just simply do is sympathize with the individual that's in this story. And then I want to show you another clip. I the vision. And after losing the vision, I felt like if there's no prosthetic for this condition, if there's no alleviating this condition, then why would I continue with such a terrible disease already with diabetes? I have to deal with diabetes and now all these accommodations I have to make for the blindness. It just, it just doesn't make sense to work on your life when you're not getting paid with it, with life's joys, with life's gifts, you know? Just this October, a national news broadcaster aired a segment on a man who applied for MAID to avoid becoming homeless. Are you afraid to die? Yeah. Amir Farsoud has applied for medically assisted dying, known as MAID. He lives in constant agony due to a back injury, but has started the process for end of life because his rooming house is up for sale and he can't find anywhere else to live that he can afford. His doctor, who knows Farsoud's real reason for MAID is his fear of being homeless, signed off on the application in August. All right, the reason I wanted to kind of end our story with with those with those things in mind is because I hope this is a reminder to us that we cannot trust Big Pharma. What they're doing with quote unquote gender affirming care for adults and especially for minors and what they're doing with puberty blockers and and drug companies who are pumping that stuff out there until we learned, oh, surprise FDA, actually it makes children go blind. 
all of this stuff should be a reminder to us that we cannot sit there and trust people who have a financial incentive motive to pump pills into kids and into adults. These people cannot be trusted. And and, and we need to be careful before we trust them. The fact that they would allow a man to kill himself and they would help him in doing so just because he's going blind. Or another man because he has back pain, chronic back pain. I mean like serious back pain. But they would allow him to kill himself and help him kill himself. This is not assistance in dying. These guys weren't dying. This is assistance in suicide. And this is not what the medical industry used to be about. This is really well highlighted in the book, Culture of Death. In it, it shows how leftist ideology and leftist ethics is invading um, the, the health community via the institutions. Many institutions are dropping the Hippocratic Oath altogether and picking up other left-leaning uh, oaths that they take when they graduate and before they perform their first surgery. Of course, because the Hippocratic Oath famously, of course, says do no harm. Well, of course you can't take that oath anymore because if you're in the medical industry today, then you are obligated to do harm or else be unvirtuous, which of course is the most important thing, is to prove your virtue with how many body parts you can chop off of other people. But I'm talking about the abortion industry and, and not just gender affirming, affirming care and so many other things that the, the health industrial complex of today is becoming less and less trustworthy, more and more interested in pumping pills and less and less interested in actually holistic, healthy living so that people can live without the use of these pills. Now, it's not everybody. There's some great doctors out there like my doctor and perhaps your doctor. But more and more, the health in industry is being invaded by leftist ideology, much like many other institutions, and as a result of it, we are less safe. And these kind of things like what's happening in Canada is happening. And I come back to this kind of theme I've been reiterating throughout this podcast here today as I come to a close. We need an animating principle. We need a narrative, a grand narrative, if you will, a meta-narrative to tell ourselves. This is something that Jordan Peterson has been on lately, and he just recently released a great special documentary, I suppose, about the Bible on the Daily Wire called Logos and Literacy. The reason I bring up the Bible in this context is, one, I believe it's a book that deserves your attention but also bring it up because it has been that book that did serve as a grand narrative. And there is a great story, a, a narrative within the meta-narrative of the whole of the Bible. And that story is the story of Cain and Abel. Now, maybe you remember the story. If you don't, it's about two brothers. One was jealous of the other, and Cain killed his brother Abel. I won't go into why. I will just tell you what, a, what Cain said when he was caught for killing his brother. Um, God comes to Cain in almost kind of a tongue-in-cheek way and says, where is your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? This is probably a phrase you're very familiar with. Now, God doesn't outright answer the question because he knows that Cain has killed his brother. But the implication to that question is just this. And by the way, it does make up for much of the narrative of especially the New Testament, but the rest of the Bible. The answer to that question is, is yes. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. If you care about your brother, you will speak out against injustice when you see it. If you care about your brother, whether your brother looks like 
comes in the form of your own child or your actual biological brother or just your your neighbor. In whatever form your brother may come in, you are your brother's keeper. So that's why I did a show this past Tuesday about speaking up and about actually rebuffing and resisting this kind of ideology of non-engagement if you're a Christian, of, of pacifism, of preferring to lose rather than to win because you're just so used to losing and because you're so used to culture moving on with without Christian influence that you've forgotten what it actually means to be a Christian shaping the world with the great stories of Scripture. I think we need to remind ourselves once again by digging into these great stories. Just this story alone would tell me that we have an obligation to this man who is who has chronic diabetes, is going blind, and is struggling. We have an obligation to him not to despair, not to help him not lose hope. I want to bring you back to our story from the Morning Wire one last time to show you why it's important that we make sure that people understand the value of life and we help them shape their life around a grand narrative and why we don't allow you to be you in these kind of situations. Um, so, so here's that. The last time I speak to Keanu, he's getting ready for a date. A girl he met on a dating app. Have a date tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't wait. I was actually on uh, Tinder and I matched with this girl who um, I messaged for her number and I called her. We're on the phone for a couple hours, uh, just laughing away. And I asked her if she wanted to, to hang out today. I told her about my blindness. She had questions about it, but she wasn't um, off of, like, she didn't have uh, a lot of those ill questions I've, I've received before. Like, it wasn't much a big deal to say, oh, it's okay, I can come pick you up and drive you. Wasn't that something? A temporary issue of pain and suffering may go away within the context of a relationship, uh, maybe more broadly, a community. So this is why we cannot just let you do you. This is why we cannot let bygones be bygones. This is why we cannot oversimplify the gospel and just say, well, I'm just going to preach the gospel. I'm just going to keep it simple, and I'm just going to keep it about Jesus. Let's not make it about the LGBTQ community, and let's not make it about what's going on with critical race theory. Let's not make it about all of these cultural issues. Yeah, I agree. Don't get distracted. Keep Jesus at the center, but focus on all of those issues because they all matter. And perhaps all deserve your attention. I think what we do, by and large, and I've argued this before in the show, is that we don't know how to respond to these things. So we take the the low road. We take the easy road. And we just say, well, don't respond to them at all. And what we're really doing, but we don't want to admit it, is we don't want to take the time because we just don't care enough. We don't want to take the time to become informed about these things. We don't want to really understand what critical race theory is. And and I'm not even saying that you need to. You don't need to take a class by James Lindsay on critical race theory. You don't need to necessarily watch What is a Woman, although I think you should, to really understand transgenderism in the present. But what you do need to do is you need to support those who are, and you need to figure out what your responsibility is in society to 
keep these kind of things from happening. At least I can tell you at the end of the day, what I'm doing on this podcast is I think what I am called to do by God, which is to try to help us reclaim that meta-narrative of Christian scripture, the meta-narratives found in Christian scripture, but the meta-narrative of Christian scripture, the idea of the fallenness of man, the redemption that comes through God, through Jesus Christ, and the hope for tomorrow that can come through the process of regeneration, or as we call it in the Christian church, being born again, being saved. See, that narrative, destruction or death or fallenness to the revelation of God to redemption, that story brings hope to mankind. That story warms the heart. For the longest time, we've associated the religious right with the reason why culture rebelled against Christianity. I don't think that's true. I think the mess that we're in right now has nothing to do with the fact that people rebelled against the, the predations of the religious right in the, in the 80s. If you don't know what the moral majority of the, the 80s or the religious right is of the 80s, just push that to the side and just say this. I think it's at least arguable, if not inarguable, that the real reason people are resistant to Christianity today has more to do with the fact that we have not given them a compelling reason to believe in Christianity. We've sat on the sidelines like a bunch of toothless lions while kids are being, you know, drug into gender clinics so that their parents can seem virtuous. Uh, we've watched as millions of babies have been uh, aborted at the altar of convenience and pastors, or at least a pastor's wife, you know, just sat back and said, we need to weep with those who weep now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned. I'm not going to tell you who it was because it doesn't matter. The point is, is that that kind of uncompelling cowardice will never draw anybody to the altars of our churches. The thing that will draw people to the altars of our churches is a church that will preach the truth. That's what we need more than ever before. And if we can develop that kind of compelling narrative, we can win this culture back, but it will continue to drift further and further and further into suicide and further and further away from God without a compelling narrative. But we've got the best one. We've got the best story. We just gotta go out there and tell more people about it. And I'm thankful that you and I or on the front lines of doing that, because perhaps in some way, if this show hadn't motivated you to do it already, then maybe you will find yourself doing it a little bit more as we move into the future. And I wish you the best as you do it. As you do it, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, because we got to go. It's all the time I have for today. And as you go, don't forget to go with God. Thanks for watching.